what's your story this morning? Did you come in mourning? Did you come in broken? Did you come in questioning, wondering, searching? Did you come in hurting? Did you come in fearful? The good news is that the good God, the God who is good and good all the time is right here. He meets with us as we come together. And out of His goodness, out of His endless storehouses of abundant blessings, He wants to give those to you through the person of Jesus Christ because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. All of them. All of the unlimited, unfathomable riches of God. He is a good God. He wants to meet you right where you're at. Show himself good to you. Let's go to him in prayer. Let's talk about that. God, eternally good God. Good in your plans for us. Good in your power and how it is wielded. Good in your patience. Good in your discipline. Father, you are just intimately aware of every need, how every one of us came in here today. And you know those that are broken, wounded, hurting, questioning, seeking, longing for something. And I know, I know that I know that I know that you are the God, the good God, who ultimately is the answer to all of our needs, the giver of every good and perfect gift. Praying that you would manifest your goodness in this place today. I believe you've already been doing that, ministering to our spirits through your spirit as we worship and praise, asking that you would continue that work now. Also asking, Lord, that you do that all across this city, not just in this church. We're just one little microcosm of your body in this city the body of Jesus Christ, wherever those houses of worship are meeting all around this city this morning, let your, let your presence permeate those meetings and work in the hearts of each one and exalt Jesus Christ and send your truth out, God in power, and that it would sanctify 
those that hear by the truth, that it would be the power of God into salvation for those that need salvation, both in this house of worship and around this city. Grow the kingdom of God today. Fill believers with your spirit today to glorify you in their world this week. Just commit that, Lord, to you. Thank you for your goodness. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Romans chapter 5, verse 21. If you have your Bible, turn there. Romans chapter 5, verse 21. Let me just begin by reading that verse. Paul is in the middle of a thought here. We're picking this up in our ongoing systematic study through the book of Romans. Come now to the end of chapter 5, verse 21, and Paul writes, So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me just, would would you just agree with me for a moment again uh, in prayer here? Father, I'm just asking you now, pleading with you now, that you would perform the miracle of the gift of preaching through my brokenness and frailty, that you would let Jesus shine through and keep Brad obscured today. Let your truth go out in power. Unleash it today through the person of your Holy Spirit. Apply it today to each heart just as you know that it needs to be applied, my own included. Believe that you're going to do that. I thank you in advance for doing so. In Christ's name, amen. Let me just begin by highlighting a couple of words here in the opening of this verse. Paul, in Romans chapter 5, in this section of 12 down through verse 21, Paul has been talking about two characters of history. He's been talking about Adam and Jesus Christ. And he has been using the two of them to talk about the comparison between Adam and Christ and the contrast between Adam and Christ. He has been showing us time and again that Adam is the federal head or the representative head of humanity. We'll get into that again in just a moment here. And what that means for all of humanity, that Adam as the first sinner, what his sin did to influence 
and affect us. And so he's been using Adam, explaining Adam's influence, and then he brings in Christ. He told us that Adam was a, a type of the one that was to come. So he makes a comparison with Adam and Christ, and then down through the verses here, he makes several contrasts. There is a comparison between Adam and Christ, but there is far greater contrast between these two men of history, both of them being appointed by God to be the federal heads of humanity in their influence over humanity. And so what he does here in verse 21, that as he opens up verse 21, he's coming to a great uh, climax of this section. In fact, Paul is coming to the conclusion of all that he has been writing about from the beginning of the letter, all the way down through five chapters. Chapter 5 ends the first great section of the book. And so he's coming to a high crescendo point here in verse 21. And he uses language. He uses language that's comparative and contrasting. First of all, look at the third word there, as. Here's the comparison. He's been making comparisons between Adam and Christ. And so he comes to this great conclusion here in verse 21, and he says, as sin reigned, referring to through Adam, as sin reigned, grace also might reign. So he makes this comparison statement here in verse 21. So in order to understand the truth of verse 21, by the very language that Paul gives, we need to be reminded of and understand what Paul has just said in the previous verses about sin's reign. Because he's making reference to it here in verse 21. He's making this comparison and he's saying, just like sin reigned through Adam, grace reigns through Christ. So to get, a, to get equipped to understand how sin reigns, let's refresh, look quickly at how sin reigns. Paul told us at least four things about sin's reign in verses 12 through 20. First of all, how did sin come about? Paul told us here in these verses. He told us several times. And here's what he said. Sin came through one man. That sin entered the world through one man, that Adam, this representative head of humanity, acted in sin, and that brought in sin, and it began to reign over all of humanity. That's how it entered. Secondly, what was the immediate result of Adam's sin? He says this several ways here. He says it clearly in verse 16 and clearly in verse 18 of Romans chapter 5. He says that Adam's one trespass, his one sin there in the garden, brought condemnation. And then in verse 18, he expands upon that thought, and he says that Adam's one trespass brought condemnation to who? To all mankind. 
that Adam in the garden, when he sinned, his act of sin brought condemnation on the entire human race. That is the doctrine of the federal headship of Adam. Orthodox understanding of Christianity. As sin reigned, the comparison, so also grace reigns. I'll show you that in a minute. Number three, what is the ongoing individual result? How did Adam's sin just come right down to your doorstep and affect you? Besides you being condemned. Well, you see, Adam's sin poisoned us at the very core. Because of Adam's sin, we entered into this world with a sinful nature. We entered into this world corrupted at the very core. And because of the sinful nature that we were born into, we act out on that sinful nature by sinning. Paul says here that we were basically poisoned in our nature. He makes the phrase in these verses that we were made sinners. So, came through one man, secured condemnation for all men. It poisoned us in our very nature. And then finally, what is the ultimate eternal result of Adam's sin? He says it several times, Twelve, verse 12, verse 14, verse 15, verse 17 here. He tells us that because of Adam's sin, sin reigns in death. Sin reigns in death over all of mankind. That's a death ultimately physically, but it's a spiritual death of separation from God for all of humanity. That's the ultimate eternal result of sin. Sentenced to death. And so he comes to this conclusion in verse 21. He's bringing all of the truths that he's been saying in verses 12 through 20 and really from the beginning of chapter 1, he's bringing all these truths together and he says, just as or as sin reigned, so also grace might reign. Comparison language. So think about those statements then. As sin began through one man, as its reign began through one man, what about the reign of grace? The reign of grace is just as sins. It began through one man, the man Jesus Christ. Sin did not need anybody's help to reign. It didn't need your help to reign over you. You were born under its dominion. Born corrupted. The grace of God comes to reign through one man as sin did. Secondly, what about the immediate result? The immediate result of Adam's sin was condemnation for all men. The immediate result in our hearts of the obedience of Jesus Christ unto death on a cross is that when we put our faith in His person and in His work, immediately the effect to you and I is not condemnation. We're taken out of condemnation and 
justified, made right with God. That's the immediate effect. That's the just as comparison. Next, the ongoing result of Adam's sin. Remember what that was? That was corrupted at the core, poisoned in our very nature, so that we enter this world with a sinful, corrupt nature, a bent toward sin, and that nature leads us into sin. Just like sin reigned like that, grace reigns. When we accept Christ, He makes us brand new. He does something new right in our core, all the way down to the very inner being of our man. He makes us new so that now we have a bent toward God. Now we have a heart to do the things that God wants us to do. Not that we do them perfectly, but we have a bent toward that that we never had before that new creation. And that bent toward God is what leads us forward in our Christian maturity. It would not happen if that new heart toward God had been birthed within us. And then, what is the ultimate eternal result of Adam's sin? It was the sentence of death, eternal death and separation from the Father. What is the ultimate result of the one man, Jesus Christ's obedience? How does the reign of grace compare to the reign of sin? It compares like this. That when you accept Christ, the ultimate eternal result is that you are ushered into a, an eternal relationship with God, a relationship with Him forever in heaven, enjoying His eternal presence, coming into the Father's happiness and experiencing it in increasing measure throughout all eternity. For as sin reigned, Grace might also reign through Jesus Christ. That's the comparison in the word as. One more comparison. He begins the verse with two critical words, so that. Those words are pointing to something, aren't they? They are directly flowing out of the verse preceding, verse 20. So Paul, what was Paul saying in verse 20? In verse 20, if you were here two weeks ago, maybe you can remember it. In verse 20, Paul talked about the superabounding grace of God. He talked about how sin increased, and when sin increased, grace responded. As a matter of fact, let me just test this out. Actually, first service, they're pretty sharp. A lot of them just nailed this. We had you two weeks ago, helped emphasize this point throughout the message several times, preaching through verse 20, trying to highlight the emphasis Paul was making every time I made the statement, just as sin increases, yes, good for you, right on, grace superabounds. That's the point of verse 20. That grace superabounds. It doesn't just match up to sin on the positive side as sin was on the negative side. It superabounds. 
So then he comes to verse 21 and says, so that. So here's what it means. The grace of God superabounds so that it can rain. The grace of God superabounds over sin so that grace can come to reign triumphant over sin. That's the comparison of verse 20, 20 to 21. The kind of the contrast. So the as is the comparison. Just as sin reigned, grace reigns. The so that is the contrast. It's saying, but it doesn't just do on the positive what grace does on the negative. It does so much abundantly more. It comes to reign triumphant and to reign supreme. Grace, let me just remind you of a couple of ideas here. Grace lifts us higher than we ever could have been had not sin entered the world. Does that make sense? Think back to Adam. Think back to Adam in the garden before he had sinned. He had an incredible position. He was created as the chief over all God's earthly creation, the preeminent aspect of God's earthly creation, put there to reign, and then sin entered in, and Adam was marred. But then grace comes in to reign. It comes in to reign in a superabounding way, meaning it does not just restore us to the position that Adam had. It lifts us super abundantly higher than Adam ever was before sin because grace superabounds. Does that for you, folks. It does that for you. You see, Adam was the preeminent aspect of God's creation on earth, but there's another realm of beings, spiritual beings, that were created higher than us, angelic beings, and the highest angelic being, the greatest of all God's created beings was Lucifer. Son of the morning held the highest exalted position for created beings, and then he rebelled, and he was cast out of heaven, and he became Satan. But what happens to us when grace comes to superabound, it doesn't just take us back to where Adam was before sin. It lifts us even higher than the position that Lucifer himself had. It places us right on the throne beside Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, the co-equal, co-eternal Son of the living God. It superabounds. It takes us beyond. Oh, that is so incredible. So it takes us higher, but not only that, it brings us closer. It brings us closer. Adam had a close relationship in the garden before he sinned. He had a relationship with a benevolent creator that they would walk together in the garden of the cool of the day. But when grace comes into our life, it doesn't just take us back here to that relationship that Adam had. It gives us the potential of an intimate relationship far exceeding what Adam ever had in the garden with his creator because it gives us the relationship 
of us to a heavenly father. Adam could never call God that before the fall. He was his benevolent creator. To those who have been saved by Christ, God is our loving heavenly father. It takes us much closer to God. And then thirdly, it guarantees a greater inheritance. Guarantees a greater inheritance. Oh, think about what Adam had. He lived in a utopian place in a perfect garden that God had planted and that God watered, place of beauty. But do you know where you're going? If you know Jesus Christ, you're going to something far better than the garden. What God has in store for you, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for you. That's far greater because Adam had seen it. His ear had heard about it. It had entered into his mind. But what's coming for us is far superior because grace superabounds. It doesn't take us back. It takes us beyond. That is the contrasting language here that leads from verse 20 into verse 21 in the same way that grace superabounds. It does that so that it can reign triumphant and supreme for all of eternity. Oh, that is awesome. That is so awesome. Notice then here the language. Paul employs language here that personifies sin and grace. He paints them as if they were two individuals. What do you think of when you think of the word reign? Probably you think of a monarch or a king. It's a person that reigns, right? He is personifying sin as a king and grace as a king to make the illustration, to flesh it out with substance. So he paints the picture here of sin being the despot Sin being the king that reigns through a reign of death. And he has reigned from the beginning of time, this despot king, over all of humanity. His influence has been great. His reach has been comprehensive. Who in the world could take the field of battle against such a king? It has to be another king. It has to be the king of grace that takes the field. Only the king of grace can take the field against sin and win the day. And that's the picture here that Paul is painting. It's the story, folks, of human history. There has been a battle raging over the hearts and souls of men and women and boys and girls throughout all of history. It's a battle between the king of sin and the king of grace. And what Paul is saying here is that grace, when it comes into the life, even a life where sin has increased, grace comes in in such a super abounding way that it comes in to set up its triumphant, unending reign over that life. You see, Paul here has been driving at a truth 
all the way through Romans chapter 5, I believe the one great truth, the key big idea of this chapter, and the idea is this. He wants us to understand the security we have if we are in Christ. And so he has been coming at this from every direction, and he brings it to a crescendo here as he paints the picture of this triumphant king of grace who sits on the throne and reigns over a human heart, reigns supreme, reigns triumphant. So let's look. Let's look now at this beautiful, incredible reign of grace. What I'm going to do as we finish up here today, I'm going to paint you two cameos of that reign of grace. I'm going to use, ultimately, this week and next week, I'm going to use four colors or four descriptions or four words about grace that's going to paint a picture of this reign of grace. I'll give you two of them quickly right now. The first is this. It's covenant grace. If you're writing notes down, place in your worship folder to do that. This first picture here that I want to point out to you is the picture, this picture of the reign of grace is that it is a covenant grace. You see, it's important that we begin at the beginning. To understand really how grace reigns, we need to go back to its very roots because when we understand that, it's going to give great depth, great color, great vividness to why grace reigns. So when did grace take the throne? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Referring to Jesus Christ, Peter writes, He, Jesus Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And the context of that section of Scripture. Read verse 19, verse 18, verse 17. He is talking about Jesus as the Lamb of God. He is talking about how Jesus Christ came as the Lamb of God to offer Himself in sacrifice to ransom humanity for Himself. And he says then, as he brings that down into verse 20, that he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. In fact, Scripture says that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. Ere before time began, there was a covenant that was established around the throne of God. Now, folks, I don't have any idea how exactly how this happened. I'm going to ask you just for a little liberty here to try to paint a picture, put some flesh to this. I'm not claiming this is the way that it happened, but I know that this covenant did happen. Theologians call this the covenant of grace. That before the world began, Back in the eons of time, in the eternal council of the triune God. God in His infinite knowledge saw that sin 
would come in and wreck the world and the human race that he created. Now give me some liberty here. And I can see the Father saying, what are we going to do about the sin? Are we going to let sin win the day? Are we going to let sin wipe out humanity? All that sin, all perish. Are we going to let that happen? Or will someone go for us and win the day? And the Son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, said, Here am I, Father, send me. And Jesus Christ surrendered himself ere before the world began to go and do the work of salvation so that sin would not win the day. And the Spirit of God responded and said, and what I will do is I will go and I'll prepare the way for the Savior to come. And then when he has come, I will woo men and women's hearts to him. I will show them their need. I will wake them up from spiritual death. I will convict them of their sin, humble them in it, bring them to the point of repentance, give them faith to believe in Jesus Christ. And when they put their faith in Christ, I will apply the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ to their life. And the Father responded and said, and when you do that, I will declare them righteous. That's the covenant of grace. Determined before the world began by the triune God back in the eons before time. When did grace take the throne? It took the throne before the world ever began. After God the Father determined to send His Son as a sacrifice, after the Son surrendered Himself to the Father's will, after the Spirit committed to exalting Christ among men, after all that happened, then God said, let there be light. And the story began. And the unfolding saga of redemption is played out for us in God's recorded history right here. But he determined it ere before the world began. The covenant of grace. That's why it can reign supreme. It's been raining before the world began. Second thing, and I'll close with this. What is the second cameo, the second color here of the reign of grace? We've looked at the covenant grace. Now I want to show you righteous grace. Look at what Paul says. So that as sin reigned in death... Grace also might reign through what? Through what, church? Grace might reign through righteousness. 
What he is saying here is that righteousness is the foundation upon which grace reigns. Said another way, grace reigns by way of righteousness. Said yet, not yet another way, the nature, the characteristic of the reign of grace is that it's a righteous nature. It's a righteous reign. You see, this is really, 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 really vital to understand. Understand that grace reigns through righteousness. Because what is at stake here is the very nature of God, your understanding of the very nature of God. And the question is this, how can the God who is holy and just ever lavish His reigning grace on an individual? How can God do that as a righteous, just God because His righteousness and justice demands that the punishment of sin be meted out? You see, we might say, if we were putting this together, we might say, well, God is a God of love, and so in His love, He just determined that He loved us so much, He just turned His back on sin. He just looked the other way. He just ignored the sin because He loved us so much. Now, we might say that, and in saying that, even rightly claim that God is a God of love. But we cannot say that and say that God is a righteous, just God. Because if God did that, He would be violating His own law. Because His law has been established that says sin brings the punishment of death. Spiritual, physical death separation from Him eternally. So God, if He just looked the other way, turned His back on, ignored sin and shut His eyes to it, God would be doing violence to His own nature and it wouldn't be a reign of righteousness. It couldn't be a reign of righteousness. So somehow God had to make a way that He could be true to His righteous, holy nature and at the same time lavish His love upon condemned, sentenced, sinful humanity. And what Paul is telling us here is that he did that through the person of Jesus Christ. He paints that picture vividly in Romans chapter 3, 21 to 26 where he talks about this very idea right here that Jesus Christ came to satisfy the justice of God. Jesus Christ came because the sins committed beforehand throughout all of history had been left unpunished and what was up in question was the righteous nature of God. How could God be letting sin go unanswered? And the exclamation point that God put on His righteousness and justice was at the cross of Jesus Christ because on the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus, the perfect divine Son of God without sin, 
actually took the sin of humanity on himself. He has actually made sin for us. He took your sin. He took my sin. Owned it as if he committed it. Not theoretically, but in a very real sense. And in that moment, with all of the sin on Christ, on the cross, God poured out his wrath to the last drop in punishment on all of sin. Christ absorbed the wrath of God for all sin so that he can now, if you put your faith in Christ, God can extend his lavished, superabundant, reigning grace into your life without doing violence to his justice and righteousness. Because it's already been satisfied. Your punishment has already been paid. And when you come to Christ, he says, Christ has satisfied it for you, so now I can lavish my grace upon you and still be true to my righteous, just nature. That's righteous grace. Just a few statements that I wrote down late last night here. The Father can pour out His lavish grace on you because He poured out His lavished wrath on His Son. You can rise out of the coffin one day because Christ was laid in a tomb one day. The Father can exalt you because the Son humbled Himself. The Father can cleanse you because the Son was made sin for you. You can receive eternal life because the Son willingly embraced death And folks, you can receive the crown of glory because the Son received the crown of thorns. That is the only way that grace could reign through righteousness. Would you please stand? So the conclusion of the matter this morning is this you are either under the condemnation of Adam judged condemned sentenced poisoned at the very core sentenced to death and separation that's if you're connected to Adam or you're connected to Jesus Christ humanity's other federal head so that through his one act of obedience you can be justified because of what he did. You can be made new at the very core and you can have the guarantee of a future home and glory in the happiness, pleasure of God in increasing measure for all eternity.
That can happen to you today if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And then to those of you that have put your faith in Jesus Christ, Paul wants you to know that if that's happened in your life, grace came to reign. It didn't come to sit on the throne for a while and then be dethroned by sin. That's not a reigning grace. That's not a super abounding reigning grace that takes the throne and then is dethroned. A grace that reigns must have the ability to retain its reign. And the grace of God through Jesus Christ does that very thing. Let me pray for you. Father, just asking you now to just sift out, work in, just massage the truth that's been unleashed here. Apply it to each heart, Lord, as you know it needs applied to say what you know needs said through your spirit right into the very soul, the heart of those that are here. God, those that are here that are not saved, that are under the condemnation of Adam, give them faith to believe and bring them into the kingdom. Let grace begin to reign. Those believers here that are continually beat up in doubts, wondering, living in defeat because they're not sure of your love and of your power. Shore them up, God, with the truth of Romans chapter 5. Ground them, anchor them firm in the unfailing, eternally reigning, superabundantly victorious grace of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.